We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. Many of us are well aware of the tension that is taking place in Palestine right now. The war that has erupted. There are strong, strong feelings on both sides. You have on the one camp, or one, you have in the one camp, you have the Jewish people. And then in the other camp, you have the Arab people. The tension that exists, the deep-seated animosity and hatred that exists between those two groups of people ultimately goes back to Genesis chapters 15 and 16. That being said, I want to just talk for a moment or two today about how one decision can literally change the course of your life. And sometimes the decision that you make in life, while maybe at the time might appear to be insignificant, but the lives that are impacted down the road, well, just no way to assess the number of people that are impacted. So our lesson today, what I want to do for the next few minutes is talk about the one decision that changed the world. Now you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, God had called on a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham is identified as the friend of God. He became the father of the Hebrew nation. And it would ultimately be through his seed line that the Messiah, the promised seed of Genesis 3.15, would emerge. And so God made a very special promise to him. Abraham and Sarah, they were childless. In Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, what we have is an account of Abraham and Sarah and their concerns over this promised seed or the promise that was made earlier by Almighty God. And so the text says, beginning in verse 1, that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Saying, I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. There was confusion on the part of Abraham regarding this promised seed. And so God clarifies for him the nature of this promise. So that being said, note if you would at the beginning in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. 
Then he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And the Bible says he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now turn with me if you would to chapter 16. And pick up in verse 1. We've talked for a moment or two about the concern, the confusion on the part of Abraham. The clarification by Almighty God. But now I want you to know that a choice was made. The choice made was initiated by Sarah. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, that Sarah... Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So we went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And then Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when you saw that she was conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. And the Bible says that Abram then said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harsh, harshly with her, she fled from her presence. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come? Where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Now I want you to think for a minute or two now about the consequences of their actions. While Abraham was a man of great faith, and the Bible speaks of his faith in Almighty God, it's my conviction that Abraham and Sarah, on this occasion, they tried to help God out. God does not need our help in working out His plans. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 1 that he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. God knew exactly what He was going to do. That promise made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, God would fulfill that promise. Ultimately realized in Christ. And we are heirs today of that promise made to Abraham nearly 4,000 years ago. 
But nonetheless, listen now to what the angel of the Lord said. Note verse 11. He speaks this to Hagar. Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now note specifically verse 12. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. That one decision has cost the lives of countless thousands, if not millions of people. The problems that are ongoing in the Middle East today go all the way back to that account recorded by Moses in Genesis chapters 15 and 16. The only way that change can be affected in the Middle East, it will never happen as a result of political policy. It will never happen. The only means by which that problem can be eradicated and brought in line is the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is a message of peace and hope. I don't know if that will ever occur with those who are fighting this battle. Now there's some application there for all of us. Again, you think about the power of the decisions that you make. Some of the decisions that we make on a daily basis, some are very insignificant. Some, no doubt, carry a lot of weight. Can impact not just our life, but the lives of others. We'll just give you some examples of what I'm talking about by way of application. Many of us have known of marriages that have fallen apart in days gone by. A choice was made by a man and a woman to unite in marriage. And Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, that what God's joined together, man's not to put asunder. Sadly, sometimes individuals enter into the marital relationship and they fail to understand the permanency involved in that very sacred union. The first sign of trouble, they bail. There was a day and time when I was young when I really believed that when two people divorce, that that divorce impacted only the husband and the wife. But that's not the case. The decision to terminate a marriage impacts not just the husband and wife, but if there are children, those children's lives are changed forever. If there are grandchildren, again, those lives are changed forever. Same is true for siblings. Same is true when it comes to friends in that context. I have seen marriages that I would never have dreamed would have folded that in fact folded. And the destruction and mayhem that resulted because of the, the, because of the discarding of that union has brought lots of trouble. 
to many lives. I've known young people that in their youth have made decisions that proved to be fatal. I can think in my mind right now of a friend of mine, 19 years old, made a terrible decision. He was 19, I was 20. He and I, we spent a lot of time together. He made a terrible decision one night. It cost him his life. I remember vividly his daddy crying like a baby at the funeral. It wasn't long ago that I saw his brother. Saw where his brother talked about how much he missed the brother that had died. The lives of those family members have never been the same. Do you understand what I'm talking about? There have been a lot of lives that have been impacted by the decisions of young people. When I was a freshman in college, one of my classmates was killed by a drunken driver. He was an only child. That boy's parents' lives were impacted for one decision on the part of one man to get behind a wheel when he had been drinking, and the rest of the story is not good. You can make a decision in this life. It can impact your life, but what you need to understand is it can impact the lives of so many other people. What I'm saying is there is a law that never changes. You know what that law is? It's called sowing and reaping. When Abraham and Sarah made the choice to bring Hagar into their family, they made a choice that has impacted the world and has cost countless lives. I do not believe that their intention was to hurt anyone. I think in their heart of hearts, they thought they were helping God out. But that was truly a terrible mistake. Now here's what the Bible says. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 11, there is a law that was set forth by Almighty God when He created the world. That law is still relevant in the fiscal realm. But Paul said there is application in the spiritual realm. Every seed brings forth after its own kind. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. That's what Paul said, Galatians chapter 6. The book of Obadiah only has one chapter. Obadiah is addressing the Edomite nation. And the Bible says about the Edomites... As you have done, so shall it be done to you. Your reprisal shall be upon your own head. They had mistreated the people of God, and the payday was coming. Judgment was coming. Again, all he's saying is there's a law at work, that law of sowing and reaping. In 1860, there was a man by the name of L. L. Pinkerton who brought the Melodian into a congregation of God's people in Midway, Kentucky. 
did so at the objection of some faithful brethren. One in particular that I know of. When he brought that melodion into the church, that began a series of circumstances that ultimately led to the formal division between churches of Christ and the Christian church at the turn of the 20th century. One decision. Only one. There are congregations in God, there are congregations of God's people today. I can tell you about churches in Texas. I could talk about churches in Tennessee that based upon decisions that have been made by the eldership have caused division. Division that should never exist. Why? Because God said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we are to be of the same mind and same judgment. And the only way that that can be accomplished is if we are on the same page. You remember last week in our study, we were looking at James chapter 2 verse 12. Where James said in the long ago, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. I've had people that have asked me about that lesson. I had one person specifically ask me, Who were you preaching to? I want you to understand right up front. I did not have a single solitary name in my mind when I preached that sermon. I talked about gossip. I talked about busybodies. Apparently, I hit a nerve. I suspect that some who were present were guilty that day. Now, I've said before, it's not my intent. It is never my intent to hurt anyone. My goal is to help. Now, listen. If the shoe fits, you know the rest. Well, why do I bring that up? Because there are times when people talk and what they ought to do is not say a word. When gossip, when people poke their nose in other people's business, they hurt the lives of those that they're talking about. They hurt the lives of those that they're nosing into. And potentially they can hurt the church in a local setting. I could tell you about some churches that I know of that no longer exist because brethren could not get along. They're gone. There was a church that I can think about in my mind right now, 25 years ago, if you had asked me, would they be strong and vibrant today? I would have told you without a question, yes. Let me tell you where they are today. They no longer exist. A problem arose, and as a result of that problem, cancer began eating away in that congregation of God's people. Now let me tell you what. When we start 
saying things and doing things that disrupt the harmony of the church in a local setting or even in a universal setting. We are meddling in something that will cost us our eternal soul. We need to understand that. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19, Solomon said that there are six things the Lord hates. He said, yes, seven are an abomination. One of which, he said, are those who sow discord among brethren. The reason I bring this up is because if perchance what I said last week caused you to reflect upon some things that maybe you have said and have caused you to reflect upon some things maybe that you have done that possibly have hurt other people, I want you to know right up front that's the case, number one, what you did was sin. Do you understand that? And unless you repent, you will be lost. Do you understand that? I hope you do. Anybody that destroys the church in a local setting, I'm here to tell you the wrath of God will abide upon them. You do not want to stand before Almighty God and have the responsibility of fracturing a congregation of God's people because of idle, senseless talk. You know, there are things that I know about people. There are things that I know about individuals that when it's all said and done, they're true. It's true. But I'm not going to share it with the world. I'm not going to share it with other people because it's none of their business. If you had done something in your past, and let's just say that what you had done is an embarrassment to you today, would you want me talking about that, even though it was true? Would you want me to say, you know what, I remember it? No. Why? Because that's not the Christian thing to do. Look, if we don't control our tongue, we will lose our eternal soul in a devil's hell. Now, I'm not intimating anything. I'm just clearing the air. I want you to know I had no agenda last week. But apparently what I said resonated. And what I said obviously the conclusion is that there were some present on that day and it might be you're here today and you're guilty. Well, you need to think about where you stand with God. And you need to think about standing before Almighty God and giving an account of your life. Jesus said, by your words you will be justified. But I want you to listen to what He said also. And by your words you will be condemned. Do you understand that? Every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. You want to use your voice to destroy the lives of other people? You are going to stand before Almighty God and you will give an account of that and He will condemn you. Is this strong preaching? Yes. And sometimes folks need to hear some strong preaching because they don't get it. 
And I want you to understand, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. This applies to all of us. When I point my finger at you, my thumb points back to me. All I'm saying is we need to be, we need to be very, very careful. I love the church at Olive Branch. I hope you do. The church at Olive Branch is not bigger than any one person. That includes myself. This church is more valuable to Almighty God than my feelings and what I think. So I want, I want you to know, decisions that you make concerning what you say and what you do can potentially impact the church right here. Last week when I was preaching, I gave the opportunity for folks to make things right with God. And probably the best person in the house came forward. If he came forward, we all need to come forward. What if the future of this church rested on what you said and what you did from this day forward? Only you can answer that. When I go back and look at Abraham and Sarah, they made a grave grave choice that has impacted the lives of many, many people. I have seen congregations that have been disrupted and that have divided because quite frankly, brethren could not keep their mouths closed. If you don't have anything good to say, then may I suggest please do not say anything. If you can't say something good about your brother, then don't say a word. Now look, we're all human. I'm not perfect. I have my faults and frailties just like everyone else. But when I look at this text and I think about the reaction that I had from the lesson last week, the conclusion is, the conclusion is I hit some nerves. Might have hit your nerves. So what I want you to do is think about where you are as a Christian. And I want, to I want you to think about where you stand with God. And I want you to think about what you have said that might have been detrimental to the lives of other people. We call it gossip. We talk about busybodies. If that's you, I'm going to plead with you today to repent and do what's right. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized into Christ so that your sins might be washed away? Those were the instructions given on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If you are a Christian to understand God holds you to a higher standard than the world, you're to live soberly, righteously, and godly. You're not to be like the world. You're not to act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world. You get the point. If you're a Christian and you're talking like the world, acting like the world, dressing like the world, emulating the world, you've got a serious problem. James said we're to be unspotted from the world. James said that those who have made themselves friends with the world are at enmity with God. You know what that means? 
It means God's over here and you're over here and you're not in fellowship with Him. You're living in spiritual adultery and you don't want to do that. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, your life's not where it ought to be, Maybe you need to respond to the invitation and maybe it's not because of what we've been talking about. I want you to know, look, we're not here to judge you. We're here to try to help one another. We want to go to heaven. In order for us to go to heaven, we've got to be on the same page. The psalmist said, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So my prayer is that the decisions that we make, those decisions will be in keeping with the will of God. And that as a Christian, I'm going to conduct myself as the Lord would have me to. If you're here today, maybe you've made some decisions that have, that have impacted the lives of other people, and you're genuinely, in your heart of hearts, you're sorry for that. Paul talks about godly sorrow. It's... Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love